Dotnet Rocks, episode 1065, with guests Jonathan Pelly de Alou, Nikolai Tillman, and Pratap Lakshman. Recorded Wednesday, November 5th, 2014. Hey, welcome back to Dotnet Rocks. It's Carl Franklin. I'm Richard Cavill. We're at Microsoft. We are in a quiet little room deep yeah, in the bowels of Building 18. Oh, should we say Building 18? I don't know. Is that okay? Can I, we say that? I think it's all right. We're at the MVP Summit. I know. We're at the MVP Summit. Hard hard building to get in. Yes. You know, if you don't have a badge. Well, and The user interface to this building really sucks. Not friendly. No, not it a friendly It really does suck, yeah. So, I walked around the moat for hours nice. before I found I was on the wrong level and had to go <laughs> up the street and then get to the front door, which was locked, and I was let in by a smoker. It's awesome. So if Microsoft is listening, if Microsoft Security is listening, yeah, you need They're to work on, on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're going to hear from them. You having a good summit? I had a great summit. It's yeah. uh, It's been a ton of fun. I'm really excited we got a chance to actually record here as well. Me too. It's always fun to be in person. Uh, and our guests are, are going to astound you with uh, some interesting and wonderful news. But before we do that, let's roll the music for Better Know a Framework. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? So I've done several MVVM projects now. Yeah, you've several. been busy. Well, you know, over the years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the I notify property change thing is always a pain. Cause oh, dude. You can't just easily push that down, you know. you ha- It has to be type-specific and all of that. Yep. But uh, I got as close as you can possibly get to uh, handling that stuff automatically with... Uh, a blog post, actually. This is from Dan Rigby at danrigby.com. Oh, yeah. But I will link to the actual post, and it's actually a few years old. I use this uh, base class at uh, tinyurl.com slash notifybase. I used it when I did um, Windows 8 development in MVVM mm-hmm. before that Silverlight development and WPF. But this is um, usable in Xamarin Forms. It's basically a... Uh, a base class, Windows Universal, doesn't matter what it is. It's just C-sharp, right? Nice. It's a base class that implements iNotify property changed. And your property handlers, you just basically have a, a call to the base get, which you which is get of a mm-hmm. type. So if it's a string property, you say get of string, you know. Yep. And then set is set. And that's it. Set value. You don't even have to pass the type. So you can basically copy and paste your properties and only thing that changes is the type. Nice. Yeah. All right. So if you're implementing a whole bunch of string properties, copy that baby into the clipboard, boom, 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 you've got string properties. <laughs> Spoken like somebody who just did this recently. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. So it, it's great, and it works wonderfully. And again, that is at tinyurl.com slash notifybase, and uh, shout out to Dan Rigby. Yeah, uh, thanks, man. That's a good for one. For making that happen. And I see people time and time again struggling with how to do this in a, in a clear clean code way right. and this just is the best i've seen it seems like dan just add a little abstraction for you to make it less painful yeah and if you don't want a whole framework yeah you know you just want a little help right this is perfect it's little piece right at that level awesome so there you go who's talking to us richard hey i grabbed a comment off of show 959 so jump back a little bit and that's the one we did about usability testing with amber de rosa and alicia hatter yeah that was a great show that was uh awesome and uh, this comment comes from joe cohen who says 
A thousand times yes, because we were talking about usability testing, right. which is not an easy topic to tackle. And Joe said, goes on to say, I'm so happy to hear you guys covering the topic of user testing. Much like other major industries before it, the software industry has reached the point where simply just accomplishing the task isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. We need to optimize the process of performing that task. My personal mantra has been that user tests are more important than unit tests. Dun, yeah. dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yes, we need to make maintainable systems that are easy to update, but all those design patterns won't mean squat if the users can't <laughs> actually use the system. I don't see how you got to be so high maintenance about these things. That's it. <laughs> use the system? Who would want to do that? You know, if you have users using the system, the next thing that happens is you have scaling problems. Oh, uh, yeah. Nothing good comes of that. That's right. As long as nobody uses your software, it'll work great. It'll work great. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid users. <laughs> I'm sorry. Make our life so went, hard. Just went on a terrible rant. It just <laughs> happened to me. I don't know why. Uh, let me finish this. You know what's worse than users? Customers. Oh my Freaking God. customers. That's they awful. suck. <laughs> Pay all that money and stuff. It was man. such a good comment, Joe. We just went, we got off the rails. I'm really sorry, dude. Uh, <sighs> let me continue. It was great to hear the ladies discuss their day-to-day jobs and how they work with the users to refine the experience of software. The hurdle I see now is to get the right people on board, especially in small and medium-sized development companies, to invest the resources necessary to do proper testing and to get them to believe that user testing is important to the quality of an app, even though it doesn't help get the product ship. I don't think that's true. I think it does help the product ship. You know, I guess what uh, the real in, problem in is are the metrics for shipping good. In comparison, maybe. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. And thanks again for another great show. Joe, a thousand times yes. Yes. <laughs> thanks for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And that brings us to our guest sitting right across from the table from us. Uh, starting on my left, Jonathan Pelly, as he's known, Pelly Deleu. He's nodding. Yes, I did it right. Is actively working on touch develop moles. That's a, a comma. Touch develop and moles, which is shipped as fakes in Visual Studio 2012. Rise for fun, packs and code digger. All stuff we're going to be talking about this hour. Pelly also wanders around building 99, shooting videos for Channel 9 about the Rise group. Every morning, Pelly teaches mobile computer science at his local high school. An admirable uh, profession. That's awesome. Uh, Nikolai Tillman is here. He's principal software developer lead in the developer division of Microsoft. And before that, he was project lead for the PEX project at Microsoft Research. His main area of research is program specification, analysis, testing, verification, and mobile app development. And uh, also with us today is Pradap Lakshman. He's senior program manager on the Visual Studio team at Microsoft. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, great. So, Pelly, uh, I remember doing a show with you on DNR TV, um, 2009, on PEX. Well, good thing you remember. I, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I was pretty blown away. And um, why don't you give us the elevator pitch for what PEX is, and, you know, even back then. So, the back then was, you know, technical term, you'd call it an automated white box test generation tool for .NET. And what does white box mean? White box is white box testing is when you read the code carefully mm-hmm. and then you come up with test case as opposed to black box where you throw garbage at it yeah. and you know and it crashes in random ways white box is the opposite where you know you're going to really look at how the code behaves and figure out how you're going to carefully go into that little 
line of code you want to go and test. So, for example, if you're testing an, a method that takes an int, you could come up with test cases like, oh, let's send it a zero, let's send it a negative one, let's send it, uh, you know, uh, an int that's out of range, or all of those things. And you could do that for a long time, but you have no clue. And you can have a lot of integers, of course. Yeah, sure. So you could do that for a very long time. And what you do when you do white box testing is, you know, you, you look at the source code, you realize that maybe the number has to be a multiple of 17. Mm -hmm. And once you know that, you can create much more interesting test case. So it actually analyzes the code to see what the code expects the, the parameters to be in the range or something, or? So it's, it's cooler than that. It analyzes <laughs> the code that is running on the .NET virtual machine. Oh, so you're not just analyzing wow. the source, you're looking at the executing code, the byte code. Absolutely. Yeah, or That's the, cool. the IL. The IL, yes. Yeah. So the code that is being executed Wow. And that goes through all the layer of code. So you might go into your code, then maybe some library code, mm -hmm. maybe some .NET code, maybe some unsaved .NET code, and back. Mm. And the tool analyzes that, let's say, in real time as mm. you're running the test. And so then it comes up with tests. Does it actually, like, create tests for you? The ultimate goal of PEX as a tool is to generate a test suite that covers every branch in your program. Yeah. Uh, and every time it detects that it found a, an input that increases coverage, it's going to spit out a test case, mm. which is a concrete set of values saved as code yeah. that will take the program where PEX managed to go. Wow. Um, and that technique is called dynamic symbolic execution. Mm. Um, and maybe Nikolai wants to talk about that. That's kind of the, the heart of... What PEX does, it's very similar to what you would do as a human when you're trying to uh, do some test-driven development, for example. Yeah. You know, start with a very simple test case. We're going to learn about, you know, null, mm -hmm. zero. And then maybe your program crashes. So mm -hmm. you say, okay, I need something that's not null. So let me throw a, an empty array. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. nothing happens because you never go into the loop. Right. Right. So you're going to give an array with one number. Right, you put zero in it because you don't know about the number, and then uh, something funky happens. So you you start growing the attempts you do into getting to your system. You know, so it seems like if you're a good developer who's been around for a while, you spend a lot of time writing those sentries at the top of your methods. You know, if you know this isn't null and that isn't null and this isn't zero and that isn't you know the length is greater than zero and all that. You know, so um, is this going to encourage that kind of handling of those? rogue values so it, it works also great with code contacts so it, it really does encourage that you specify your preconditions and mm. make all of that explicit uh, because specs will find all of these issues and throw them back at you if you didn't properly declare them right pex doesn't know that you assume that you never throw nulls at your function sure at your so it doesn't know that so it right. assumes the worst it says oh yeah yeah. This this shouldn't happen. Right. But this but is the behavior of all good testers I've ever met, right? That they're that sort of anal, intensive, let's try a null, let's try a zero, let's try an empty array, let's try an object not pointing at anything, mm -hmm. like just all of that evil stuff. Because like, users are evil. Let's yeah. face it. They, input is evil. They come up with evil things to do. So <laughs> it's nice to have a person there. But now you're saying, here's a tool that will do it for you. So, yeah, in that sense, like the use of code contracts or, you know, traditional uh, – argument checks, uh, 
Apex will you'll le Apex will leverage that and will be able to detect that those are kind of expected and will mm. flag them as expected test cases. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so you'll get value out of that. Uh, absolutely, that's great. So the goal of Pex has always been flip a switch, let it run, let it figure out what to do, come up with full test coverage that you can run, and uh, and you're done. And go and deep in your code. So we're talking about the entrance, no, the yeah. validation. But Pex yeah, yeah, can yeah. also go very deep, uh, especially with you know think about intricate code, many mm -hmm. branches, yeah. many corner cases. No, nested loops, this kind of stuff that PEX can go deep uh, into these codes. One of our examples that we show is the Lun algorithm. It's the algorithm to compute the checksum on a, on a credit card number. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right? It, it involves a loop, modular arithmetic, mm -hmm. stuff like that. We're able to go and cover that algorithm automatically. Wow. Right. So, so what PEX is really good at is finding the values that makes the code go along all the different execution paths and cover your code. So that's the part we can automate. What we want, or what developers have to do is write assertions. Pex does not know whether the code is behaving correct or not. It's just producing test cases that go everywhere right. the code can go. Mm. So it's up to the developer to write assertions either in the product code. Mm -hmm. Then if you think about an assertion, what is it? It's really, if not condition, blow up, so exception. Right. Right. Pex will try to go along the negative branch and try to violate your assertion. Mm. And... So you can write those assertions in the product code or you can write parameterized unit tests mm -hmm. and then PEX figures out the parameter values, but you still write assertions in that kind of generic unit test. So That's PEX does the coverage, you do the assertions. Nice, very and, and Star you, Trek. And you also mentioned the code contracts piece, which it comes from Rise as well. Yeah. Is, is, so is PEX reading those too to find the negative cases? Yeah. Code contracts boils down to branches in your program. Right. As Nikolai said, there's a branch for the assertion. And, and PEX only looks at branches mm -hmm. in a sense. It doesn't really care. Now, how is PEX, are you running the app and, and using exercising different features of the app for PEX to learn and, and find the, the, the test cases? Yes. That's how it's done. We actually run the app. This is not a static analysis. Right. It actually runs the app. So if, if in your code there's some call to a native function that launches a rocket, right. it will get launched. So <laughs> be, be careful. But is it only getting launched because I'm clicking on the button to launch it in order to build the test cases for it? Or is PEX actually going to do that execution path itself? PEX will do that. I mean, unless there's a guard in place that makes you click yeah. a safety button in between, right. then right. that will execute as specified but yeah yeah to, to take that uh, white box uh, testing analogy that uh, Bailey mentioned right we we not only open up the method and look at it we actually run it mm -hmm. and not only run it once but we might end up running it many times mm. okay and, and feeding different values to it each time right sort of like so very much like real white box testing where a where a developer or a tester might write a test case and then do code coverage and see how far this test has exercised that method mm -hmm. and then come up with more test cases which can you know go deeper into the method a similar approach we also use so we might end up running the code under test many many times and each time we progressively learn more about the code right. we can go deeper yeah. into the code but the, the developer wow. themselves is not having to start the app with some kind of watcher that's figuring that out. You just point past right. so the It's not app. like the profiler, in other words, where you actually run and use no. the user interface. So it's, it's very close. It's In order to work, it's closely related to more unit tests. You yeah. need to point pecs at a very particular piece of code in your app. I gotcha. 
because the more see if you throw it at main let's say yeah point at main then it's going to explode in terms of complexity and mm. we won't be able to go deep what you want is go and attack the critical areas of mm. your code the mm. ones where your money you know how much you pay your customers right. relies on you sure. don't want so to have really a, don't want it pointed at production data when you fire packs <laughs> potentially not potentially not, not. <laughs> <laughs> i may not be launching a rocket right. but i could mess up some people's accounts so imagine you're <laughs> looking at the il code of your program and now between every line, we inject a callback. We inject an instrumentation mm -hmm. at every instruction. Wow. Yeah. That lets us observe every instruction that .NET decides to run. Mm. And that's the way we track how values flow around your program and in mm. memory and out of memory and also which branches you take. So that's how deep our system goes and, and instrument your code. We use the profiler, the CLR profiler yeah. API to do that. And we rewrite the functions at JIT time. Uh, so we are actually running your code. Nice. That's so cool. Now that was 2009, right? When we talked about this and, and you go to the PEC site and uh, things have changed a little bit. So there's... What's going on with PECs today? So over the time, we've tried out many different approaches of how we can... Um, expose this functionality to the user. Mm. So um, do you just want to right-click on your code and get get a table of data? Do you want test cases generated? Um, then we also have a notion of parameterized unit tests. Mm. That's, that's the way where you actually write dedicated code for packs to run. So over the time, we have experimented with different versions. And so for 2013, there's a Microsoft Research uh, download that we call Code Digger. Code digger. And and there we really tried out the idea of a minimal user interface. Hmm. So all you can do is you right-click on your code, and ideally it's a, a portable class library, um, which means that it would be very isolated. Hmm. And then we produce a table for you to look at. Mm -hmm. Very minimalistic. And um, so for that design, it works works really great. So that was one experiment we we recently did there. And that's been going on for a while now, Code Digger. Yes. Yes. In 2012. 2012. Yes. Okay. Yes. And the last release that we published was, I think, in November of last year. Okay. November, December of last year. And then there was an online game, too, where you could take quizzes and try to find out what, what was going on in the right. code, right? So our team is, is quite involved in education now. Um, and uh, we actually... Uh, put a nice uh, gamey uh, skin on top of uh, packs, and mm. it's called CodeHunt.com. CodeHunt.com. If you want to go hunting for code, uh, have a blast there. Uh, it'll make you a better programmer, uh, like and you'll get some pretty uh, good changes. CodeHunt.com is test-driven development, but you don't know what the test is. Yeah, so it's <laughs> stealthy. <laughs> so... Pex generates a test suite, and there are some passing tests and failing tests. You see that. It's all happening in a browser. Um, and you have you kind of reverse engineer the test case you're trying to, um, you know, to solve. So, so that's the hunt. Right. The, the fun part is you don't really know what you're trying to code. Right. You're working uh, your way back to it. But at some point you detect what you know, you know what you'd have to do, but then you have also to implement it. Right. Uh, you might have to rewrite it and we'll give you a score between one and three, whether your solution is good or not. Mm-hmm. And you'll see people trying really to get the three stars. Of course. Know, just like you play your, your favorite mobile game. No. And while, while you're writing code, so under the hood, the PEX engine is running to check your code and give you feedback. So there's a massive Windows Azure-based um, PEX engine in the cloud to give you that kind of feedback. Wow. 
So it looks very science fiction. Is that supposed to be like hunting in space or hunting in the ocean? It's either one or the other, but I can't tell which. Probably in space. Probably in space. <laughs> Probably though. You're a program. Yeah. In the in the storyline of the of the game, right? right. <laughs> you have to recover lost fragments. Be the, the code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are the code. <laughs> Fragments have been lost and you have to recover them. Right. That is right. so cool. Yeah. And a great way to get kids involved too, don't you think? I mean, is that why you wanted to do this? For, you said for education, what yes. level of... Uh, uh, definitely for level? high school, uh, upper K-12, uh, kids taking APCS. This works also in Java. Um, right. So if you're, if you're taking the AP exam or if you want to be really good at string manipulation functions and mm -hmm. getting your pointer brain to right. be really good, that's that's a great tool that will challenge you. You have no idea. To think. So it's one of those, I mean, I, I get the sense code hunt is one of the things you just play with for a little while. And if you get addicted, you'll drill into it. But it sounds like it's way deeper than you realize. Like it'll just keep going. It'll keep going. Oh, wow. Uh, there's uh, the base, uh, the base level is 150 challenges. Wow. Yeah. Um, that'll, that'll suck up some weekends out of your life. <laughs> and be warned. So, so we know our users, and if if you get started with the first level, you get hooked. <laughs> our <laughs> our users stay for a long time. You never just do one. No, no, it's, it's addictive. <laughs> well, there's a pride to it, right? Right. Yeah. And it's a game. You, know, you everybody considers itself as a great developer, but then mm -hmm. there's this tool that gives you this challenge and it pushes back on you. How yeah. good are you, yeah. really? Yeah. Then you always wanted to just yeah. one more, one more. One more, one more. So Code Hunt really focuces on, you know, C-sharp 1.0, arrays, strings, right. loops, search, you know, search, sorting. Right. Uh, Reverse engineering cryptography. Reverse engineering some, <laughs> some bit shifting algorithms. Oh, something for everyone. <laughs> if you don't you know, know. easy stuff. Oh, wow. <laughs> the good stuff. Uh, but when you think about where to apply PEX, if you have intricate code, mm -hmm. maybe you have your own parser, your own language there, or you have a very complicated business logic in your, in your app that's critical, that has an insane amount of corner cases over the years, right. that's your prime target. Sure. High, you know, high impact, high, a lot of branches, and also no dependencies to the environment. Nice. Yeah. The killer for PEX is the environment. Right. So, so when you want to try out PEX or learn more what, what it can do, then Cotant is really a great experience to just get a feel for um, the areas where, where it can be applied on. Mm -hmm. So so it seems we're talking about where PEX works. An important thing is talking where it doesn't work. Right. Sure. Um, oh, yeah. And, and that also kind of takes us a bit back in time. Right. So a couple of years ago, we already um, talked with the Visual Studio team about taking packs in into Visual Studio. Right. And and back then we also ran through various scenarios, what could we do? And and eventually um, so we had something in packs that we called molds, mm -hmm. which molds. is molds. Oh, molds. molds, yes. Which is um, a framework to isolate a unit test from the environment. Right. And and that was pretty popular. And it turned out that that in the end, a couple of years ago then this is what uh, we carved out of packs and which was renamed to be fakes. Right. And then it made it into Visual Studio. Moles, fakes. Same thing. Right. Same Different thing. name. Which is also now owned by our team. Okay. Okay. So the so Moles was the MSR tool, yes. but to when it made, moved over to Studio, it became fakes. Yeah. Moles was designed to enable 
to allow developer to isolate from the environment to run PEX. Right. Okay. It was redesigned for PEX. So yeah. it was a very opinionated mock, it's not really a mocking framework, it's right. really an isolation framework. Yeah. Right. Uh, it didn't follow the patterns that you'd see because we needed to make sure the the dynamic symbolic engine could work with it. Mm -hmm. Right. It was sure. designed for it, PEX. Yes, it is particularly friendly to, to PEX. For obvious reasons. Yeah, it has to be. For so like we were saying, right, it, PEX will try to, you know, open up your code, run it n number of times, discover branches and all that. Mm -hmm. Many of these mocking frameworks that you have, they might have, you know, very beguilingly simple surface syntax. Right. But then behind the scenes, Nothing. they might be doing code generation or, you know, sure. so many other things. Do stuff. Right. Pass a string. Return right. string. They, yeah. yeah. And then when they do these heavyweight code generation behind the scenes, mm. and then when PEX comes in, it tries to, you know. Yeah, it'll run through all those It'll variations. run through all that. Yeah. So the, fakes or moles, yeah. as it's, it was called earlier, PEX. is very lightweight and very friendly to PEX. Nice. PEX. With, with other mock frameworks, PEX will try to break the mock framework. It will try really, really hard to find bugs <laughs> and in there. probably succeed. And the rocket will launch. <laughs> <laughs> so there so, uh, were other stories. There's a lot of anecdotes. You know, and Nikolai pointed to that. For example, why should you write assertions? You know, there's always a question, oh, right. why, why do we write assertions? Well, right. with, with a tool like PEX, it's obvious because it'll give an opportunity for PEX to find a bug. Right. right. So one of the anecdotes is people saying, you know, PEX only finds no references. Yeah. Right. Well, do you have any assertion? Yeah. Right. No, I don't have any assertion. Then, then that's what it's going to find. Right. Yeah. It's going to find what the runtime will throw, which right. is argument of the range and mm -hmm. and null exception. Yeah. Sure. Pex cannot magically find really really deep bugs if you don't have assertions. Right. Okay. But I I, I like that it's basically going to guide you down that path. Like this sounds like the. Uh, You've, we've recently done shows on brownfield development and the like, mm -hmm. and, and there was this whole conversation about how, how do you get started into testing with a piece of software you didn't write that it really doesn't have a lot of testing infrastructure. You have to probably. learn what, you have to get inside that developer's head and sort of right. figure out what they were and, thinking. Yeah. And Defen you, defensive programmers would love it who already sprinkle asserts or yeah, contracts, right. and they or would you, love it. But it, it sounds like yeah. you could quickly get into that once you start running PEX and saying, well, this mm. is what it keeps slamming into having a problem. Let's start putting assertions around that so that it can go to the next phase and mm. the right. next phase. Mm. Or if you don't have a test suite to begin with and mm -hmm. you have this piece of code and, and you just want to make sure you don't break anything, mm. then PEX is also great to generate a test suite that it, it won't find any deep bugs in the code, but right. it will basically characterize whatever the code is doing today. Right. And then PEX can also basically as generate assertions saying that, Today, for this input, the function returns that output, uh, making mm. sure that going forward, if you keep those tests, you don't break it. Right. Sure. So it's it's great for to generate a regression test suite yeah. mm -hmm. if you have some legacy code without tests. Right. Very nice. Which is the basic description of a brownfield, you know, taking over a brownfield yes. app. Exactly. Yeah. This is the problem you have. Exactly. Pin down whatever is the current observed behavior. Right. Mm. So you don't even know what is the right behavior. No. So sure. you don't know what assertions to put in. Yeah, right. but you can use specs and then pin it down to whatever is the current observed. And we want to keep to that. So now, now word of caution, mm -hmm. and and again, this is one of the kind of anti pattern is the hidden complexity of uh, what you would do in frameworks. Like, so if you, for example, try to open a XAML page, or you know, or if you try to always pipe your data through XML and parse it out, right, right, mm -hmm. you're actually running hundreds of thousands of lines of, of MSIL code. Mm -hmm. Sure. Right. 
And that will impact PEX because PEX analyzes every instruction you run. Right. Yeah. Right. So the doesn't matter if it's your is, code or, or the framework, it's IL. So you want, it's really great in the con, uh, unit test being very close to what you're testing. Right. If you go through multiple layers of indirection, you will just make it harder for the PEX engine. And it will be frustrating for you because it won't work as, you know, as advertised right. in a sense. You're familiar with code lens, obviously. You are definitely, right? I would really love to see how, you know, behind every line of code, a little thing that hovers above that tells me how many lines of IL that actually represents. Like, so you know how high level something is or or how low level, so how expensive it's going to be. You, you know, that is the classic mistake that programmers make when they're using these high level frameworks. They don't know what that actual, that, that line of code represents. Right. Similar to what I was saying earlier about those mocking frameworks, which give you very... F- you know, nice surface syntax, but mm-hmm. hide a huge amount of complexity behind the scenes. Very Absolutely, similar. yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? It must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's about four o'clock. <laughs> that's always a happy time. Where's the scotch? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the joke. <laughs> that's the joke. Yeah, I had one, but it wasn't that funny. <laughs> I stole your joke. <laughs> I'm trying to feel bad about it, but I'm funny. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a Sync Fusion Essentials. I can't believe that's the joke. That was the uh, joke. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I, had, I had one that wasn't funny at all. <laughs> Turns out four o'clock is scotch time. A, makes me makes me laugh. There you go. It's time to give away a Sync Fusion Essential Studio to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who won today. Is your big data strategy causing you headaches? Ditch the complicated configuration and jargon and pump up your development with the only easy-to-use big data solution for Windows. The SyncFusion big data platform installs quickly and is packed with samples to help you get up and running in 15 minutes or less. Check it out now at SyncFusion.com and start working with big data in under 15 minutes. And even if you aren't working with big data, you can take advantage of over 500 SyncFusion controls to help you build stunning applications. Or you can broaden your skill set with free ebooks that SyncFusion offers on over 40 topics. Download free trials and free ebooks at SyncFusion.com. All right, buddy, who's our winner? You wouldn't believe what the uh, randomizer picked today for mm. a winner. Uh, Somebody we know. Oh? Niall Merrigan. Oh, wow, Niall, yeah. he's here. He's an yeah. MVP. Niall Congratulations, Merrigan, yeah. Niall. Yeah, golf clap for Niall. Get that. Yeah. Maybe we'll see him later tonight. We could tell him he won. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, you must have emailed him by now. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the system did email him. Okay, and, good. Uh, let's see if he responded. Nope, not nope. yet. He's probably in a session somewhere. Yeah, or, you know, singing Dirty Old Town and <laughs> drinking some Jameson somewhere. Uh, so, Niall just won a SyncFusion Essential Studio. That's a big pile of awesome from SyncFusion. If you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, Answer a few questions and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member it's of coming the up. .NET Rocks fan club. And it's getting close. It's ought to be fun. You get nervous? You want to be a Nigerian prince again? No. <laughs> <laughs> every time we do this, they don't believe it's they true. They don't believe they yeah. can't. I had to do a triple take, and my wife said, don't answer that. <laughs> Yeah, um, so uh, we like to ask our guests, you guys, Pelly, we'll start with you. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? 
And I know you weren't prepared for that question. Judging <laughs> oh, by I'd this. go to Adafruit and buy all their gadgets. To where? Where? Adafruit. Adafruit. You know, Arduinos, oh, LEDs, yeah, that's a safe bet. Bluetooth. You, you also came in on a very nice bike. I would think you'd go for some biking gadgets too. Mm. Not a bike guy. No, I, I am a bike guy. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, the one uh, I don't need one for now. Mm-hmm. So you want to yeah. be a walking Internet of Things? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, you want to mention your quality of life with the number of IP addresses. You know what I would do? I just, I just probably, <laughs> you know, I take my wife to Hawaii because that's you know, so I can yeah. geek out more often. That's wise. Right? Yeah. That is yes, wise. That's yeah. a very wise yeah. thing to do. Very smart. Nikolai, what would you do with five thousand bucks? I probably more than that. So, so maybe. I want an electric car that I can program myself. Mm-hmm. 5,000, not Yeah, five I guess thousand. I have to <laughs> add some more. Yeah. <laughs> so down payment on a Tesla, but... Yes, yeah. <laughs> or deposit, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Very programmable. Pradap, how about you? I don't know. I'd go on a vacation to the family, I guess. Yeah, okay. Safe bet. Safe bet. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. I want an airplane. Get out of town. What if you had to spend it on technology? to spend it on technology what don't you have i guess i'd buy a bicycle with many many gears <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like an 81 speed three derailers maybe Carbon now now that being said i i've had a, a busted uh engine recently so oh, really? i might need an engine as a <laughs> as a piece of technology well that is a piece of technology piece of technology these days yeah a good old uh Atmospheric engine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I, I think we've come to the point in the show where we have to make an announcement, right? Yeah. Or, th- or they have to make an Somebody announcement. Somebody has to. Somebody be us. Definitely not. We don't know us. anything. Who's going to spill the beans? Pratap, what have you been up to? <laughs> what is your announcement today? Announcement on what? About PEX. This isn't going oh. to be uh, aired until after the announcement. After the announcement. Yeah. So. so the announcement that we have to make is that PEX is finally showing up in Visual Studio, and it's showing up as smart unit tests, and nice. will be available in the VS 2015 uh, uh, software that's going to be launched on 12th. Nice. Wow. So Yay. starting with the preview release, Woo-hoo! we'll have that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm in a, it's not easy to go from a Microsoft research project to in the box. That's a big yeah. deal. I mean, F-sharp. F-sharp, there's, yep. But there's not many more. Like, that's that's a pretty rare thing. How did this come to be? Pratap. Is this all you? You decided this needed to be, We developers needed this? It's, I guess, these okay. two. Oh, yeah? It's a, um, a mutual admiration society Apparently. going on over here. So I think we, we had a pretty good vision, and then we actually spent a lot of time polishing it and trying different user experiences, mm-hmm. which isn't, you always done for research projects. Right. Right. I mean, ideally, first of all, you want to prove that it, it works. Yeah. And then how to actually package it up that, that's sometimes not done by all researchers. But we spend a lot of time going through all the different ways how to. Well, I think you're going to think about testing very differently than the average developer does. I mean, you've immersed yourself in that. You're a researcher. Right. I mean, we are not the target audience. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's difficult for us to really see how other people are going to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we did go into companies and we talked to developers. Yes, we, we did know, that. We, we well, and you spent years, right? I mean, you talked years, to, yeah. to Carl back in 2009. Yes, we got a lot yeah. of user feedback. So another thing we did is we had many, many releases over the years where right. 
we um, were asking for feedback. Right. Mm. And that really helped. We got a lot of feedback in the forums. And it's, it's hard to be a test a test tool, you know, the first thing you do with a test tool, you throw it at the worst piece of code. Yeah, right. of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so each time would come a release and somebody, some big project would come along, boom. Yeah. Right. So mm. we, yeah. we kind of gained a lot of experience in, you know, shipping this tool in various forms mm -hmm. as plugins on, on the code gallery. Right. right. To the ac academia as the code digger version, which was a slightly stripped down version. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we've gained lots of experience, real world experience of how this tool is, you know, used by people, mm -hmm. where it can be used. And then like many of the other technologies, even if it comes out early enough, it takes a long time to mature. Right. For example, uh, there are so many, like for example, JIT, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, right. JIT came out so long back, but then right. only after it got into Java and CLR, it's gotten mainstream. Right. Yeah. GC, garbage collection is garbage another collection. example, mm -hmm. right? So many of these technologies take a long time to mature. Garbage collection was going on in Quick Basic. Oh yeah, I mean, we've all, we've had it for a long time, but yeah. the i the idea of managed memory, right? Yeah. I mean that that's that was a turn of the millennium thing of we got to stop allowing developers to decide what to do with memory because they do it wrong. Well, you know, <laughs> like, I, like I said, Basic was a great example of in Visual Basic after that mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, taking all of that stuff away. In some ways, the VB runtime is, is a little .NET framework. Yeah, it's like a precursor. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. I mean, it does all that memory management, garbage collection and all that. But um, so the, the thing about the, um, the, the, the stuff that's available today is only that that's only working on portable class libraries. That's not the case with what's in Visual Studio. Will it work on so what's any in code? Visual Studio will work on PCLs, portable class libraries, mm -hmm. class libraries, XCs. It'll work on all of them. It'll work yeah. on everything. Yeah. And is it sort of like uh, the profiler? In other words, it just comes up as a tool and you run it and it runs your code and then you run so it again. How do you use it? Yeah, the way we are surfacing it is through the code editor window itself. Mm -hmm. So ah. that's where as a developer, you will be spending most of your time, you know, writing your code. So as you're writing your code, you just, you know, right click, it comes up in a context menu. It's, it's a very, you know, frictionless, low friction experience. So as you're typing code, you can uh, right click and launch pecs. Smart ah. unit tests, as we call it. Right. And then right there in the editor window itself, we show you results of what has the tool been able to figure out about your code? What are the tests it has generated? Nice. How well, much I like coverage? that you're doing it that way because that naturally encourages focusing down at the method level. Correct. The method you're in at the time, yeah. and then you fire it up and start looking at unit tests around it. Correct. We show you a table of inputs, outputs. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you, if you send this in, this is what the result will be. Correct. Right. And, and, and we so talked cool. a lot about unit testing, but even if you don't have any unit test project, or I've never done any unit testing, right. you can just right-click on your code and see what comes out. So, hmm. so that's the experience where maybe your team hasn't adopted PEX, for example. You mm -hmm. don't want to touch the source code. Right. You can still run PEX in memory, generate a test, test suite in memory, uh, get the insight, and ultimately, we don't, we don't touch your code base. Yeah, right. nice. Don't check out any file. Sure. Um, mm. But, you but the rocket may launch. <laughs> the rocket may launch. Yes. Here, if you're tinkering with the launch rocket method, <laughs> let me tell you something. <laughs> or maybe that super awesome sanitization method that you have is not so cool. Right. Ah, yeah. 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 The, the words, are you sure, have never been more scary. <laughs> are you really sure? Are you really sure? Because we know what this is going to do. <laughs> 
But that's I, right. You know, are you sure? Most of the time, the computers have no idea what you know what your intention is. Right. But you guys actually do yeah. know what's going to happen. You know, are you sure you, you want to do this? Because <laughs> things are going to happen. Hmm. So, uh, just in, it's just going to be in the new version studio. So you don't really have to evolve QA in this a whole bunch. Like if you just want to try it on your code as you're working, you can. But I got to imagine when you get your team together and start thinking about this, this will this will really construct some tests. I got to think the biggest thing that's going to happen is it's encouraging assertions and code contracts and that behavior in the first place, and and validating very quickly that whether or not you're doing it effectively. Especially probably good for people who don't do any testing right now to mm-hmm. sort of get into it because it's sort of automated. Yeah, and and uh, I mean, one way to use it is you right on your code. You don't have any tests yet. Yeah. Pex will show you for this input, your code produces that output, and then there's a save button. And when you click it, you Pex will j- save all of those tests in a new unit test project, hmm. which is actually meaningful. I mean, it has all right. of those behaviors in it. And there you go. You can keep doing unit testing from, from there on. But you have to do it for every method, right? Um, like like you said before, Pelly, it's not like you just point it at main and go. But you can point it at, can we still point it at an assembly? You can point it at the level of a method, at the level of a type, at the level of a namespace. Wow. Yeah. Yes. So that works really great when you have a, a library that exposes a bunch of public functions. Sure. If your only function is main, then it just yeah. explodes. Right. But much like any testing, if you have a million lines of code, mm-hmm. you really may not want to test all of those million no, lines. No, sure. right? There will be some business critical, mission critical part that you are willing to do whatever it takes to test. Right. I'm thinking if you're using MVVM, you want to do it in the view models. Correct. You know, Correct. Look, yes. Go through each Anywhere view model and start branches, there. Branches, if statements, yeah. decisions. Yeah, it's all the, uh, and it's all that code you're afraid of. Right. You know that method, you open it up and go, yeah, I'm not doing that. No, you first that, you go... <laughs> Ooh, what is that? <laughs> right, so Pex will feed on solid, uh, you know, engineering practices, you know, componentized code, like mm. all these, you know, framework like MVVM, mm-hmm. MVC stuff, where you really separate the views, which usually will confuse Pex to the logic. Right. 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 So you, you feed on good coding, you know, practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Pex will also give you feedback if that's not the case. So right. um, there are some... some warnings that it will issue in case that it detects some non-componentized code, basically. Right. So if you're writing a Windows form app with a lot of code behind, it's not going to help you all that much. So as we, you know, as we discover more and more about the code, mm-hmm. when we run it multiple times, mm. along the way, if we observe that you know, you're making calls into the network or making calls into the file system, and anywhere where you're escaping out into the environment, right. we will flag that. We'll mm. say, hey, are you sure you want to do this? And then mm. the expectation is that as a developer, you heed those warnings and maybe you refactor your code or introduce some more. Right, How so do you so do that? Do you throw comments in the source code? So in the user interface itself, yeah. we, we raise certain uh, events or which show up as uh, you know, stability warnings. Stability issues. Warnings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Much right. like when you run a, a compiler over yeah, your code, it's going to throw up some warnings and errors, right? right. So when you so actually you, get to that launch rocket call <laughs> that calls the external service, it's going to fly to go. If, are you if, sure you want us to run this? Yeah, yeah. If the rocket launcher only throws on Mondays, yeah. if it only throws on Mondays, that means your code depends on date time now. Yeah. yeah. That's not really testable. That's hard yeah. to right. test because you can only run your test suite on Mondays. It's non-deterministic testing. Mm-hmm. Right. 
so PEX really works great on deterministic single-threaded code. Right. right. Which turns out to be a lot of code. Mm -hmm. A lot of code. Mm -hmm. But interesting, you said single-threaded too. So what happens when we start playing with the async await type code environment? Or even worse, threads. Create thread. Scheduling and yeah. thread pooling and... We'll start adding support for all of that pretty soon. So right, okay. well, right now it's just going to go, no. It's going to raise those as, <laughs> yeah. as issues. Yeah. yeah. And again, there's no silver bullet in testing, and you sure. have to know your tool. You know, you don't, you don't go trying to take a, a tree down with a hammer. Yeah. Um, well, you can try. But... You can try. Um, but there's some, there's some better stuff. So sure. pegs you have, and that's why you know we recommend to the to the listener hmm. to. Uh, really train a bit on that, kind of learn the tool. Mm -hmm. You'll get the best experience and have fun with it without the frustration of not understanding what's under under the cover, how right. PEX works. Well, right. it, just because it's a, maybe there's something that's asynchronously called, but you can still look at the method that had the call and, and do testing on that just fine. So maybe uh, the async has no impact on your program flow. Without a doubt. Maybe you're just mm. posting some logging uh, to the cloud and, yep. and, you, and you keep going. Like yes. you don't care about the output. In that case, it will not impact PEX. Sure, yeah. Right. If you rely on the value coming back from an async call, then, right. then that's going to be an issue. Things get a little more complicated. But in many ways, you in many programs, you actually run environment functions we don't understand, like console write line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, console write line, it launch rocket. It doesn't mm -hmm. impact the, the coverage of your program. Yeah. Right. So maybe we should dig into some of the other edge cases where uh, PEX isn't going to help you all that much. So we've covered uh, complexity, hidden mm -hmm. complexity. Mm -hmm. Uh, threading, right? Um, when you U, don't have UI assertions, code. when you don't have assertions, when you don't have assertions, how about UI code? UI code it would fall into complexity, mm -hmm. yeah, because or, you have it's late binding and mm -hmm. and it's non deterministic. Yep. Or calling out to the environment. I mean, if it's if it's issuing calls to Windows to draw something, Pex right. doesn't know about sure. right. how that works. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And I guess most Common database calls are going to sort of fall into that too. I think if you keep those in mind, you you're in pretty good shape to yeah. uh, to really being uh, to grasp the the value of PEX. Sure, um, think lots of branches. Yeah, uh, and we're because it's IL, it's language agnostic, so it doesn't matter if it's C sharp, VB.net, or F sharp. It's fine. It works best on C sharp, mm -hmm. um, but it can also analyze VB and F sharp code. Excellent. Sure. So we it's and IL. we generate test cases in C sharp for now. We generate test cases in C sharp for now. Mm -hmm. And we are supporting the Visual Studio test framework for now. Mm -hmm. Okay, but this is this is extendable. So you, yep. we are talking a version one actually. I mean, I know you guys are working on yeah. this for years, but this is the first version that's yeah. really landing in Studio. That's so right. I think it took a nice big bite out of the problem. You know, yeah. imagine, imagine there's a few more bites to go over the years. And and again, you don't need to have the full blown like when you experiment with it. Find a place where you know it's tricky and you know the branch. You might have missed some cases. Right, That's right. fairly isolated. That's where you can toy around. You don't need to write a, a test project test suite. You can just write a little static method mm -hmm. right there. Mm. Start writing your assertions. Maybe, you know, preconditions, postconditions, write scenarios. The thing that PEX cannot do well is putting functions together in a meaningful way. We yeah, try. Right. We do a, a lot of work there. But we don't know the the scenarios, so you can write these scenarios at, with values following in. Yeah. Maybe you do a couple transactions on your, you know, on your, on your bank implementation, and you get and you leave the amount of money to be 
to be opened for PEX to explore. Right. Or you give an array of transactions so that mm. PEX can generate a sequence of transactions. Right? But now you're getting into, so you're building a test plan anyway, and PEX can actually help me do this faster. That I know that different transaction types are likely to run, and I want to run a variation on that. The idea that I will give you this parameter set, give me a range of values, it could probably crank that up for me pretty quickly. I want to run through this one more time. Like, let's just say that we're looking at a view model of uh, something, maybe whatever it is, a logic, some portable class library somewhere. And uh, we don't have any assertions. We don't have anything. This is just code that was handed to us. Should I run PEX first, or should I put assertions in there first? So if you don't know anything about that code, mm -hmm. it, it might be fun to run PEX because it will give you a table, a pretty mm -hmm. small table of representative input-output values. So it will show you a couple of values um, which have which trigger different behaviors in the code. Okay. So it's great to help in program understanding, especially if that isn't your code. Mm -hmm. um, and also, it's a single click. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah why not? Why Can't not hurt. Click on it. Can't yeah, hurt. Yeah. yeah. And if so you the the moment you understand what that code is supposed to do, then you should go in and write assertions. Okay. So and if you didn't know what the code was doing, right. How would you know what assertions to put in? Of course, sure. yeah. So you'd start. So it's a you know you have to bootstrap your understanding of the code itself. Right. So you run PEX, it generates you a little bit of a, a small table with some inputs and outputs. Yeah. You try to understand that, and then based on that, try to add some assertions. Run PEX again and again and, and, and again. And the beauty of the assertion is six months later, a new dev comes in and he makes mistakes, and then the assertions are still there. And they'll catch it right away. They'll catch it. So a, a typical assertion might be if somebody's passing in a client ID integer or something like that, and you want to check to make sure that it's not zero or, or less than zero. You know, it's less than or equal to zero. If it is, do a debug assert, do something, and uh, then PEX will pick up on that and get smarter. Yeah. Yeah. And the way you might figure that out, first you run packs on the code as it is, and you see the values, and you might see that, oh, for minus one, something really funny happens. Right. Maybe it doesn't crash, but it doesn't make any sense. And, and then right. you can go in and, and write that assertion Got because it. you think, this should never be negative. It's a yeah. bad idea. It's right. a bad idea. Well, Beautiful. I, I also feel like the first time you run this, you're going to hit simple asserts. Then you're going to fix a few of those. You're going to run it again. You're going to get more complicated ones. Somewhere in a few iterations, all of a sudden there should be an explosion of interesting errors. Like, uh, the deep ones. You finally start the touching the code yeah. and you see interactions you yeah. didn't anticipate. Like you've sort of gotten to a place where you've laid enough framework around PEX to actually start really testing your code. That's That's got to be a, an eye-opener. Like you're going you're gonna to go, oh yeah, I forgot that. Oh yeah, I forgot that. Yeah, yeah, that too. The oh, shallow wait. ones are easy. Yeah, and they, you'll knock those off. It'll take a little bit of time and all of a sudden it'll be, huh, how did that happen? Yeah, you write an assertion and you think it's true, but then PEX comes up with a test case yeah. showing that it's not. So yeah. how, how, how did that happen? What is this doing to the whole practice of test-driven development where you write your test cases first and then you run so it? Yeah. So I think it, it goes great together because it's, it's basically about two different things. Mm -hmm. Sure. Test-driven development is that before you write any code, you, you want to write down your idea of what the code is supposed to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can do that for a concrete value. Like when I push one onto a stack and then I pop a value, it should be one. Mm -hmm. Right. But turns out the value shouldn't really matter, right? I mean, it should work for two and three and four. Yeah. Right. So whenever you write a test case and then you look at it and think, hmm, this value shouldn't matter, you make it a parameter and then you have what we call a parameterized unit test. Mm -hmm. And what that really means is you have to write less test code because you don't have to write that value in there, and if, if you don't have to have the same test case with five different values, mm -hmm. 
And then what PEX is doing is getting code coverage up, right? which is something that when you do test-driven development, you kind of ignore, right? Mm -hmm. When you're not after the code coverage. And that's exactly what PEX is good at. So these two things go well together because they had about different aspects. So right. you still do test-driven development, yeah. you just write less tests. Mm -hmm. If you think about the virtuous cycle of test-driven <laughs> development, right? You, you write your test case, you run it fails, yep. you make your fix until the test case passes. Yeah. Now the flow is a bit different using parameterized unit test. You write your parameterized unit test, yeah. you run it, it generates failing test case and passing ones. Mm. You fix a failing test case, pick one, you fix it, right. you run again, that Test case is green now. It's, yeah. it's happy. We generate the next failing test case. Right. 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 So you didn't have to go to base. You can skip the rewriting the next test case. It's already done. And right. so when when PEX, all the PEX tests pass, you're done. Are you ever done? And that's the same with test-driven development, right? right? I mean, as long as you have more tests to write, you're not done. It's yeah. just that you spend more time on the code and less time writing test cases that mm -hmm. are redundant. And at what point? At what point do you say, you know, I'm getting so much, so many errors on this code. Let me take a look at that and see if I can simplify it a little bit or mm -hmm. break it out. I mean, you might get signals like that from PEX too, right? About I don't know, cyclomatic complexity. I mean, you can see when code is complex too. If you get a lot of test cases, yeah, it's complex. But if you're getting yeah. a lot of test cases over and over again, it's it might yeah. be too complex. And it's a manifestation of complexity. Is how many cases did it take for PEX to get to? Yeah. Deep understanding of the code. Yeah. That's interesting. If you have more than 100 test cases on a single test, <laughs> it is very complicated, <laughs> I can tell you that. Who would do that? <laughs> Hopefully you won't get there. How yeah. do you get there? Usually What's a good number? 10. Yeah. Ten. See, I yeah. love it, this. It's, how it's do you, you usually, can't buy this kind of information. <laughs> it's usually Ten. surprising how little you need. Once you have parameterized cases, so you're dealing with value ranges and so forth efficiently, yeah, the number of tests yeah. is going to drop dramatically. Huh. So there are also patterns that you could learn about in how to write efficient parameterized unit tests. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I think we're migrating them into MSDN. So these are kind of makes you power user of this technology. Mm -hmm. And for example, if you have operations that are symmetric, if you can encode and decode, right. if you have an encoder and a decoder, then you have a very good assertions that you encode whatever and you decode it and you get whatever back. Right. Yeah. And that's an extremely powerful assertion. And that, that test case alone if you have bugs in your code base, it will take you hours to, you know, we'll crunch through that. We'll find those cases where it's not true. Right. Where we found an input that where did not get the correct the output. The round trip didn't work. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a bunch of these patterns. We have a document about that. Uh, and, and that will make super efficient parameterized unit test. Wow. Nice. Uh, if it applies to your code base. So it just doesn't make sense not to use this. I think you guys are onto something huge. It doesn't eliminate the tester. Like, there's still the role of Absolutely building not. and planning out good testing. Absolutely not. But, I mean, it's more than testing. It's code insight. Right. It really is. Right. Do you really know so how the software's going to behave? A couple of things, right? It does not eliminate or it's not meant to replace any other testing practice that sure. you already have. Right. This, this can be used to augment that. Mm -hmm. And this should not be seen as some kind of a, you know, fire and forget kind of thing. Right, you, right. you write some code, you run this tool, and then it will do everything for you. Right, there right. is going to be a need for the developer to interact with the tool Absolutely. so that he can get the best out of it. Yeah, this, and it's, yeah, definitely, you still want to own these tests just because the tool will help you make them. Correct. doesn't mean they're not your tests. Mm -hmm. It'll give you a head start. Right. There's some inertia in you know, getting started itself. 
Text is a great way to get started. Absolutely. And I just love the the whole idea of something that looks at my code and says, you know, that that's not a, a really good way to do that. I mean, you can basically be told by Pax that, you know, you're this is not good. You want you might want to think about rewriting this. It yeah. is sometimes surprising. Yeah. <laughs> the sort of insight you derive just from being able to iterate on all these things. Unless you read the the CLI, you yeah. know, the the CLI specification every morning you right. might have forgotten some some interesting edge case sure especially uh, when you start thinking about il intensive statements like a link statement right and where there's a lot oh, of underlying yeah. code there who knows what you might turn up yeah definitely guys is there anything else you want to talk about before we sign off i, I could um so on so so IIL, what's like you mentioned link statements. Yep. So here's a fun fact. Mm -hmm. um, do you know what the difference is between a loop where you just add up numbers versus using the sum operation from, from link? No. So one source an exception when it overflows, the other one doesn't. I, I let you figure out which one is which. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so automatic refactorings actually can change behavior sometimes in subtle ways. Right. And Pax is good at figuring that out. Yeah, good. Pax, you, now that you know how Pax works, yeah. Obviously, we catch that when you Obviously. made that refactoring. Yeah. Like being able to, it's not the set of tests that PEX builds initially. No. It's when you run those tests against refactored yeah. code. The, the and don't send us a bug report if you if you get surprised mm -hmm. about these behaviors. Right. It's, it's the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just report the truth. Yeah. Don't shoot us. <laughs> Did you have anything you want to add? Yeah. The listeners, please use the tool. Yes. Give us your feedback. We are looking forward to it. And how can they do that? They can post it on the forums. They can send us email. Okay. Um, we'll post a, a link to the page where all of that stuff is uh, spelled out. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you, guys. Thank and you for we, we are really looking forward to that feedback to inform how to evolve the tool. Excellent. I'm sure. I'm sure uh, you're going to get overwhelmed with some great feedback. I hope it's all good. Congratulations, guys. Major Thank changes. you. Thank you so much. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.